So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned uh, from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word and how uh, truthful it is uh, about life, about who we are, and about who you are. And uh, Lord, we need your spirit uh, to guide us into all truth as we commit ourselves to study your word, commit our minds and commit our hearts to be examined by it as we uh, study and examine it for ourselves. So I pray for your spirit now uh, to guide us and uh, lead us into trusting in, in your faithfulness, in your love, and the character of who you are. And we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us uh, in your word, uh, that we may uh, find the goodness of who you are and that we may abide in your love. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, uh, we're looking at a tremendously insightful little passage on the topic of suffering. It's about the question, how do we uh, live uh, you know, as Christians, as God's beloved children? How do we live in a world where we often are experiencing darkness, disappointment, and affliction? How do we live like that? As, how do we be God's beloved children and experience that? And uh, this is actually a really helpful passage in that because Naomi, Naomi is, uh, has just returned from a foreign land of Moab and uh, she is experiencing quite a lot of suffering. She's poor. Her husband's died. Her two sons have both died. Uh, she's, uh, she's basically hopeless. And Naomi is the kind of person that, you know, you, you meet her in church and you, you ask, you know, so how's it going? She really wears her emotions kind of on her sleeve. You know, you're going to find out exactly how she's doing. And we, and we get a little picture into her kind of emotional life. She's very open with uh, what, she's, what she's dealing with, what she's struggling with. And what this little uh, passage gives us is a little snapshot uh, an interesting case study into the suffering of uh, the people of God. And uh, I have to say, I have a, a lot to say on this matter, uh, so we're going to get right to it, and really we're going to, there's two things that we're going to look at in this passage is, for one, uh, the experience of suffering. What does this passage tell us about what it's like to experience suffering? What happens to us when we walk through affliction? And this, so the first, the experience of, of suffering, but second, also the grace of suffering. Where is God in the midst of our suffering? So the experience of suffering and, and the grace of suffering, and I, I have to say, I, I have a lot to say on this, actually, I think including sub-points, we're at around seven-point uh, sermon. So uh, because, someone whistled in the first service too, that was good. Um, the, uh, because this suffering is a big part of, uh, of life, it's a big part of the Bible, and suffering, the Bible says, is a big part of the Christian life. And so let me just encourage you, as we go through this, I'm going to have a lot to say. This is, this is a subject to give your minds to, and this is a passage that is rich, and so 
uh, give your minds to God's word and uh, that he may be your comfort and that you, you may learn to trust in him. All right? So two things, the experience of suffering and the grace of suffering. The, the first, the experience of suffering. What do we learn in this passage about the experience of suffering? And uh, Tim Keller uh, is a, a pastor who's had a big influence on me. He's a pastor in, in Manhattan. He's written a really superb book on suffering called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, which is just uh, it's excellent. I recommend it to you if you're looking for a new book to read. And in one of the chapters, he talks about the different kinds of suffering uh, that we experience in this life, and especially how suffering affects us. And, you know, Naomi, in this passage, as I said, she has quite a lot of different kinds of suffering that, that she's experiencing. She's poor. She has experienced the loss of family members. Her husband has died prematurely. Her two sons have died prematurely. She has no work. Some of you know that the suffering of not having work and not knowing where your income is going to come from. She's also a social outcast. You know, she left uh, the land of God's people and went to Moab, a foreign country. There's foreign gods. And now she's coming back, and she's a widow. And so she's vulnerable. And so there are many different kinds of ways that we experience suffering in this life, and you could add to those things of, you know, we experience physical suffering from, you know, health problems. Uh, we also experience suffering being persecuted as Christians, and, you know, we feel rejection from the world and things like that. And the question is, what does experiencing these kinds of afflictions do to us? When we pass through those afflictions, what happens to us? And Keller talks about four things that are actually right here in this passage. And the first thing is we experience suffering as isolation. That's the first thing about, that happens to us is we fear, have an experience of isolation because, you know, for many of us, when we go through suffering, we kind of have mixed feelings about being around people, right? So some of you have, you know, if you've gone through a particularly dark period in your life, you know, even just coming to church is something like, oh, man, I've got to go see all those people, and, I, you know, I don't want to have the small talk, or I don't want everyone asking me about what's going on. And so there's kind of a reluctance to come and be around people. You just kind of want to be alone. And yet also, in the midst of your suffering, you deeply want someone to be there with you. And so there's this ambivalence about being around other people, and, and you see that ambivalence in uh, Naomi in this passage. You know, she comes back from Moab. She's been... Uh, gone there for years, and uh, she's bitter, she's lost, she's poor, she's, she's hopeless. And all of a sudden, Naomi is the center of attention in this town, right? Did you, you see that in verse 19? So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem, and when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. There's a whole buzz in the city. Everyone's talking about Naomi and what she's gone through. And actually, she's coming back. The, her name, Naomi, means pleasant one. And so she left. When she left, she was this kind of robust, you know, young woman. Uh, and she's now come back. She's been beaten up. She's this destitute, bitter old woman. And they could just see it on her face. And everyone's talking about, have you seen Naomi? And so she's become this spectacle. And... Um, I think one of the things that can aggravate suffering is this experience of, of being isolated from people that um, on the one hand, sorry, uh, on the one hand, offering when we're suffering, no one really knows what we're going through. And, and that could be the case, that may be the case for some of you. Some of you are going through periods of darkness that no one in this room knows about. And so you feel a sense of isolation and, and feeling alone in it. But all, also, either people don't know about it or they do know about it. 
but they don't really know. You know, it's kind of this public thing that people know you're going through suffering, but they don't know really what it's like to be in the midst of it. And so it's actually, they can't see what it's really like for you to be in the midst of that. And so you feel this separation from people and separation uh, from your community. And that's why Naomi says in verse 20, she says, do not call me Naomi. Do not call me the pleasant one. Call me Mara, for the Lord, uh, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. And what she's saying, she's, she's saying, I'm not Naomi. And don't, don't pretend like you know me because you knew me when I left. You don't know me. You don't know the suffering that I'm going through. And I'll just tell you, I know for some of you that, that's how you feel. And, and, and even the experience of coming to church feels that way. Of, uh, people don't know. And you might say, you might get up in the morning on Sunday morning and say, like, I'm not sure I want to go there. But I will just tell you again and again, as I've talked to people who are walking through hard things and they wrestle with that question, should I take my body and put it in the midst of this community around other people? As hard as that is, it is, it is always for your good. God does not want you to be isolated in your suffering. And he will make good on that. You take your body and you put it in this midst, even though you're not sure what you're going to talk to people about or what you're going to say, or, or even the fact that people might not really, they may not understand, and they don't understand what you're going through. God does. And he has placed them around you to be a, a part of your comfort and part of his comfort to you. Okay? So let me encourage you in that. But, le, but let me also say, it's interesting because, you know, it goes both ways. There's a sense in which other people, you know, when I'm going through suffering, other people don't know how to interact with me. But also, when we're going through suffering, we lose sight of how to interact with other people as well. And that's the second thing about the experience of suffering. It's not just that suffering is isolation from other people, but also suffering, we experience suffering as implosion. And uh, the meaning of that is is that when we suffer, we get turned in on ourselves. We become self-obsessed when we're going through pain and hard things. We can only think about ourselves. You know, Naomi makes a really kind of confused statement here in verse uh, verse 20, 21. This is what she says. She said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord brought me back empty. It's kind of a strange statement because she says, I went away full. What she's talking about when she left her homeland to go live in Moab. She said, I was full. But actually, why did she leave her homeland? There was a famine going on. She wasn't full. She was poor. She had nothing. She had to leave and go to another land to go find some food. So she wasn't full. What she's talking about, she said, at least I had a husband. At least I had, uh, at least I had my sons. But now I'm coming back with no one. And I just want you to imagine, when she says that publicly to the community, I went away empty, but now I'm empty, who's standing right there listening to that? Ruth, who came back from Moab with her. Ruth, who actually, just in the last passage, if you were here last week, Ruth just made a pledge to her, who said, even to death, I'm going to stay with you, because I love you. And your God's going to be my God, and your people are going to be my people. And Naomi is saying, I don't have anyone. I mean, imagine the cutting statement that she just made. How's Ruth going to feel about that? I just pledged my life to you, and you say I have nothing? I have no one? And one of the things that happens in our suffering is we actually become blind to the people that are in our life. And, and we begin uh, to uh, take them for granted because we are so turned in on ourselves that we can't even see the people who are there. And, uh, and the reason for that is because pain, pain is very loud. You know, I, I remember when I, uh, I lived in 
Western Samoa for a year and a half when I was a teenager, and I walked around in barefoot often. And, and what would happen is you always stub your toes, and you know it's a humid place, so infections just flared up. If you get a little cut, a little stub toe, you get an ingrown toenail. And actually, I remember having my toe was all raw at one time with all kinds of flesh hanging over it. It was ingrown toenail, and I, you know you'd have flies, like ten flies, gnawing on it. And, uh, and there would be this deep throbbing in my toe. And if you've ever had an infection like that, you can't think about anything else. It's just like it's yelling at you, wham, wham, wham. And it's like, the, oh, I only have one body part. It's my toe. And it's just yelling at me. And you can't think of anything else. It's because pain is so loud. And it, 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 you know, it, um, the noise of it just makes it so you can't hear anything else or see anything else. And so you become turned in on yourself. And so one of the things, that, that's also for some of you who are feeling like you're in a dark time. Are you saying that, that I'm empty? I have no one. God's given me no one. When actually there are people around you who care about you deeply. And they actually would be there for you. And they may not know exactly what you're going through. They may not have said exactly the right words. But they actually do, they are present with you. Who are those people? That's one of the, the sorrows of suffering is, is not just that we become isolated from other people, but we become turned in on ourselves. But there's also another kind of isolation. It's not just the social you know, isolation with other people. There's also a spiritual isolation that goes with suffering. This is the third thing about the experience of suffering is that we experience suffering as condemnation. We experience suffering as condemnation, that uh, we interpret when we're suffering that what is happening to us is God's condemning punishment. And that, that adds to this kind of sorrow and the darkness of what we're going through. And uh, you'll notice that Naomi, she describes her suffering in precisely those terms. Uh, verse 21, second half, verse 21. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. She says, I am in a courtroom, and God is the judge, and he has found me guilty. And the reason I'm suffering this is he is punishing me. He's his, and, and whatever sense, you know, and some of us just feel that sense of condemnation, that's the way that God is on a normal day. And then when we're suffering, we say, it has to be that. It has to be God that, that, that God is angry with me. And so that adds to the darkness of it, that God is distant in being harsh and coming down on me. And this is, uh, this is how Keller explains it. A third mark of affliction is a sense of doom, of hopelessness, and of condemnation. That's exactly Naomi right there. This comes in part from a hard-to-define, barely conscious shame. In other words, while we should feel guilty when we do wrong, we usually don't. It is not until great suffering comes upon us that we feel we are perhaps being punished. And so we look around and begin to admit the wrongdoings in our lives. And it's not hard to find. Even though the things we have done wrong may not have any direct connection to the affliction, the affliction makes us keenly aware of our flaws and our fragility. Whatever sense of, of failure and condemnation we, experience, we already have with God, it's exaggerated. It's multiplied, magnified when we experience suffering. And now let me just say, you know, it's important for you to know that the Bible says that there are all kinds of reasons that people experience suffering. I mean, so for some people, that's the one thing. God is angry with me and he wants me to suffer. No, the Bible says there's all kinds of reasons. It could be that it's true that God 
you know, the wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness. God does get angry against sin. But, you know, other places, Proverbs says you might just be acting foolishly, and acting foolishly can bring suffering into our lives. Um, or it could just be that we live in a cursed world, a, a world that's living under a curse because of humanity has rebelled against God, and we're humans, and so we share in that. And it actually has nothing to do with what, something that we've specifically done. It's just a part of the loss of living in, the, in humanity in this age. But it also could be, you know, the Bible says that if you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, all the wrath of God has been poured out on Jesus. There is none left for you. He does not put his wrath on his children, but he does lovingly discipline his children. And his loving discipline is always calculated, it's always careful, it's always with concern. Uh, he's not a lashing out. And it could be that, it could be a discipline that we're experiencing, you know, fatherly disciplining. And one of the things that that means is that if you feel especially condemned by God in your suffering, that's why not isolating is so important. Because you need people around you to say, listen, it's not that God's punishing you. It's just people get sick. We live in a fallen world, you know, and to talk through what are the things of all these different reasons is a very complex answer to why these things are happening and how do I trust God. I need those people around us to show me that God actually does love me as I'm walking through this, okay? But one of the things that that means about the fact that suffer, we experience suffering as condemnation is that also suffering makes us face God. And for many of us, you know, we can ignore God and then it's really in our suffering that we turn to him and deal with him. That's happened to many people throughout history. It's probably happened to many of you. But when we face God, we also experience another, a fourth aspect of, of suffering is that we experience suffering as anger. Suffering stirs in us anger, and especially in anger towards God. And in these verses, you, uh, you know, Naomi describes her experience as bitterness, right? She says, call me Mara. Mara means bitter. So my new name is bitter, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. And she levels these four complaints uh, against God. Why do we get so angry when we're suffering? The reason is because we have certain unstated, implicit expectations about how we expect our life to go. We expect that we have a plan for our life. And it, when we are suffering, what's happening is God is not doing our plan. And so all of a sudden, what's happening is, uh, and so we get angry about the God, and, and these things, these expectations, these demands that we have on God that were implicit, that were unspoken, unnamed, that we just kind of had buried back in our subconscious, all of a sudden become explicit, and we see what they are. And we see, this is what I was expecting God to do for me, and he's not doing it. And so it stirs in us anger. But at the same time, that what that means is that when we experience suffering because it brings up who we really are, what our expectations of God are, what do we believe about God, what do we expect for our life, suffering will never leave us unchanged. And, you know, actually, the, the way the Bible talks about it, it says that suffering is like a furnace. And, uh, you know, we're going into this, the fires of the furnace. That's what suffering is. And, you know, when something goes into a, into a furnace, what happens to it? Well, one of two options. It's either going to be consumed and destroyed, or it's going to be refined and made beautiful. One of those two things, you're not going to stay the same, though. And, uh, and so the furnace that we face is this, this um, stirring up of isolation, implosion, and condemnation, and anger. And, and Keller also adds that temptation, oftentimes in our suffering, uh, temptation becomes more intense for us as well. 
And, uh, and so we must learn to turn to him in the midst of it. So that's what the experience of, of suffering is. Now, I want to make an important distinction here because, you know, it's, it's interesting. Naomi makes some serious complaints against God, right? And she makes these accusations. God, the Lord is dealing bitterly with me. And, you know, it's one of the things I love about the Bible and the characters of the Bible. You know, Naomi is not this kind of plastic, two-dimensional Bible figure that's like, ah, you know, I love God. You know, she's got a tremendous amount of emotion going on. She's very, she's complex. There's a lot happening with her. And so she has this bitterness and anger and complaints against God. And yet, what do we see about her in the midst of all that? She still loves Ruth. She's still devoted to Ruth. We saw last time that she said to Ruth, don't come with me, even though I'll be alone without you. Go back and find a husband in Moab. I want you to be secure and, and have a, th- a thriving life. She actually cares about, about, uh, about Ruth. And then also, she, she came home from Moab. She lived in Moab, and she decided to move. She, she was decisive. You know, many of us, when we're in periods of darkness, we're, we're indecisive and we're just frozen. She actually made a big decision in her life. It's very, very challenging to do. And also, she... She also talks about the Lord. She prays. You know, last time she says, she says to Ruth and Orpah, may the Lord deal kindly with you as, as you've dealt with me and with the dead. And so she actually prays for people and she believes that the Lord can be kind. She is this mixture of both bitterness of God with, towards God and anger. Why is this happening? Emotion. And she's not totally turned in on herself. She hasn't rejected the Lord. And it's just a very rich picture of how the Bible intends for us to walk through suffering. The Bible does not intend that you come to church and say, you know, how are things going? Plaster a smile on your face. Everything is good. God works all things for good. You know, praise the Lord. You don't have to do that. Naomi feels her grief. And it's an important part of suffering to actually feel the grief that you're going through. And, uh, and you're allowed to feel your grief. And it's important to feel your grief. And, um, but that doesn't, combined with that, it doesn't give us permission to disrespect God or to be selfish towards others. It doesn't give us license uh, to turn against God. And so it, it's a complex experience of walking through pain and suffering. And let me just say, um, how then do we do that? As we're experiencing this confusion, how do we walk through darkness? And this is the second point, is, is we first see in this passage the experience of suffering, that uh, it's experienced isolation, implosion, condemnation, and anger. What is the grace of suffering then? Where do we see God in the midst of our suffering in this passage? And it gives three profound answers, this text does, of where we see God in our suffering. And the first answer is this. Suffering comes from the hand of God himself. Where is God in the midst of suffering? Hear these words. Suffering comes from the hand of God himself. And I just want you to hear Naomi's description of her suffering. Verse 20. She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Four times she says the Lord's name. And there is no question to Naomi that her suffering comes from the sovereign appointment of the Almighty Lord. 
her suffering has come from the sovereign appointment of the Almighty Lord. And um, let me just tell you, I know this is a sobering word, that suffering comes from the Lord. That God, this is what the Bible teaches, is that God appoints all of the suffering that we experience in this life. It comes from his hand. Now let me just say really quick, I choose carefully that word appoints, that God appoints suffering in our life, because I think that word helps us to guard against two errors. The one error is that we can think that God's relationship to the world and to suffering in the world is that God simply permits evil to happen in the world, as if God kind of made the world and now he's standing back with his hands off. And he says, listen, all the people, they have their free will and they're going to hurt one another, and so that's the way it goes, and God lets it happen. And the problem with that is because that's not the way the Bible describes God as being standing far off from the world with his hands off. It says that, that God is very involved, present in the world. All things are held together by him. My body is held together. My face is not melting right now because God is, Jesus is holding it together right now. And so he is actively, he is involved. Um, he's present. He could stop the suffering if he chose to. And in fact, even more than that, God is in complete control and directs all history according to his purposes. God directs all things according to his purposes. And Naomi, despite her great suffering, knows that God is the sovereign, almighty one who is ruling over all these things. Okay? So one error is simply to say, okay, God just permits things to happen. We say, no, God has appointed the suffering. But the other error is to, to say that... Um, God is then therefore the author of evil. Because obviously the obvious thing to say is, wow, you say God is in control of everything that happens in history, then he must be creating that evil. And uh, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that God is holy, that he is good, he is opposed to evil. And Romans 1.30 says that we are the inventors of evil. We are the ones who invent sin and evil in the world. We are the, things, we are the ones that bring it into the world. And um, evil is not something that God invents or is the author of. But what God does is God takes our evil that we've invented and he uses it as his tool for his good purposes. He directs it, appoints it, and uses it to fulfill his plans. And let me just tell you how I, you know, I've been recently learning about this. I've, uh, in my morning prayers, I, I've memorized uh, Psalm 23 and been using that as a guide for prayers in the morning. And there's a part in Psalm 23 where uh, it says, you know, if you don't know Psalm 23, it talks about how the Lord is our shepherd and uh, we walk with him and we're like the sheep that he guides. And there's one point where it says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. It's just very beautiful. That God, God the shepherd leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. But then the very next verse is what? If you know the psalm. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And one of the things that the psalm is saying is that one of the paths of righteousness, if you're going to walk the path of righteousness, one of the paths of righteousness that the Lord leads us into is the valley of the shadow of the death. So it's not like, oh, all of a sudden I found myself in darkness in the valley of the shadow of death. No, the shepherd led me there. He walked with me, and he led me into it, and he leads me through it. And in fact, the valley of the shadow of death is one of the paths of righteousness. Let me just tell you that. You, you know that that's true. The people that you have met in your life who are the most tender, 
the most loving, the most patient, the most faithful are people who have experienced profound suffering in their life. They have been led into the valley of the shadow of death with the great shepherd and they have found that they fear no evil because the Lord is with them. And, uh, and I'll tell you, what, the reason why this is so important, why is it so important for us to understand that suffering comes from the hand of God is because our tendency is going to be, if we think that you know, suffering is just something that kind of happens haphazardly, we're going to try to organize our whole life around avoiding suffering. Our whole life is going to be about managing our life in order to experience comfort. But if we believe that suffering is something that God brings into the life of his people, when he brings suffering into my life, what am I going to do? I'm going to use it. I'm going to meditate on it, and I'm going to receive it from God's hands. And what the Psalm 23 is telling us to do is to go to the Lord and say to him, whatever you bring into my life today, whether it is comfort or whether it is sorrow, I receive it from your hands because you are my good shepherd and I trust you. Thy will be done in my life. And so we need to have that posture that whatever comes into our life is from the, hand, the hands of the Lord. Now some of you might ask, okay, fine, I receive the suffering from God's hand, then what do I do? And uh, if I could just go with Psalm 23 a little more, you know, what do you do in suffering? What is God calling you to, expecting from you when you're in darkness, when you're in disappointment, when you're in affliction, what does he expect from you? He expects you to walk through it. Walk through the valley. It's, it's actually quite simple. And the reason why walking is so important is because walking is not a dramatic thing. You know, uh, usually when we're in the midst of suffering, we want some dramatic rescue out of it. God is going to do something great, and sometimes he does that. He does do, sometimes he does do dramatic great things. But for most of the Christian life, what God simply wants us to do is to walk, which is steady, one foot in front of the other, and walk through the suffering, walk through the valley of the shadow of death, knowing that our shepherd is with us. It means daily praying to the Lord, asking him for strength, Daily reading his word and finding comfort in it and trusting him as we walk through it. And uh, that's what we learn as we um, receive all of our suffering from God's hand. Now, one of the questions that comes up from this, God appoints suffering into my life? I mean, your immediate response is, well, back up, back up, distance myself from this God. What is he going to do to me? What is he going to inflict me, you know, afflict me with? If I trust in him and I come near to him, that's what he does to his people? How could I trust a God like that who brings suffering into people's lives? And this is the second thing that we learn about the grace of suffering. It's not just that suffering comes from the God, hand of God himself, but second, that suffering comes on God himself. The reason we should trust him is because God does, part of him not being distant from the world and suffering is not just that he's involved in directing all things according to his purposes, but he himself enters into the suffering. I mean, that's who Jesus is. Jesus is God become a man sharing in our suffering with us. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you this. Uh, you look in this passage, again at verse 21. This is how Naomi describes her suffering. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Now, what she's describing is a courtroom, right? And, and this word for that God is a judge, and this word for calamity is a word that's used in other places in the Old Testament. When God had chosen Israel and he gave them these laws, he says, I'm going to put you in the land and you're going to be a light to all the nations, but here's how I'm commanding you to live. You know, you're supposed to follow my law. And if you 
just if you turn away from me, you're going to bring calamity upon yourself. You're going to bring curses, a covenant curse upon you. And you know, much of the Old Testament is about God's chosen people turning away from him. And so calamity comes upon them and curses come upon them. And at the end of the Old Testament, the true king of Israel shows up in the scene. And that's Jesus. He's the true king of this people who's been consistently coming under these calamities. And Jesus is the true king who is God himself become a man. What does he do? He takes the covenant curses upon himself on the cross. These calamities that the Lord appointed for Naomi, the Lord appointed on himself in Christ as well. And so we have a God who has entered into our suffering. And that's why we should trust him. And let me just tell you what that's kind of like. You know, I imagine, you know, imagine you're in some old kingdom and you get thrown down into a dungeon, you know, in some hole in a dark, dark place, hardly any food. And you're thinking about the king is up in his palace with the, you know, the fans on him and stuff like that and the grapes and he's eating. And you say, that king, he's up in the palace and he's put me down in this dungeon and that's going to stir up anger in you. But if you find out, you know, one of the guards comes and says, actually the king who, who's brought the suffering is actually in the darker cell, the darkest cell down the hall. Because he's unwilling that any suffering that you're going to experience, he won't himself experience. And he actually lives down there. What are you going to think of that king? You might think he's very odd, king. But the one thing you are not going to say is that he's a merciless, harsh tyrant. That he's distant from you and cold and distant. No, he has come near to me. And the reason why I can receive the suffering that comes in my life from God's hand, it is because it is a, is a God who's shared in the suffering with me. And so the one thing I can't say is that he doesn't love me. I know he must love me. And so I trust him and I receive it, that, he's, that the good shepherd has gone into the valley of the shadow of death with, uh, of, uh, the valley of the shadow of death with me. All right? So, but let me just say, the grace of suffering, I mean, already two profound things that the Bible tells us, that all of our suffering comes from God's hand. It's appointed by him, and we can receive it, trusting. And that he enters into the suffering also. God, suffering comes upon God himself, but there is a third grace about suffering that we see in this passage that, that is also crucial. And this is that suffering comes in a story of hope. All of our, if you were a Christian, if you belong to Jesus, all of your suffering comes in a story that is ultimately charged with hope. And I, I love how this little passage ends. Here's Naomi making her complaint against the Lord, and then it says, and they came to Bethlehem, at the beginning of the barley harvest. And uh, this barley harvest is late April. And, uh, and, you know, they came home. She arrived home. It's this moment of hope. And actually Bethlehem, the word for Bethlehem, is the house of bread. They've come to the house of bread. And it's the barley harvest. You know what you make out of barley? Beer. It's beer and feasting. And the barley harvest is beginning and it is a period of abundance that the Lord has timed it that they arrived in this place of feasting where, uh, where God's people have... Uh, and then in a month, there's going to be the wheat harvest. And there's going to be all these feasts. And at the end of this suffering is they're walking into the abundance of the Lord. And the Lord has that for them. And let me just tell you, one of the things is we walk through a life of suffering. The Lord is going to give us many moments of relief. There are many of your trials that the Lord, you're going to cry out to him. And he will relieve them. 
And you're like, you thought I'm never going to have a job or I'm never going to be able to pay my rent or, uh, you know, this sickness is never going to go away. And, and you pray and a lot of times the Lord does relieve those things. But there are also trials that he's going to bring in each one of our lives that will be with us until the last day. But at the last day, God has pledged that he will take away all our suffering, that Jesus is going to come back. And that what God did for Jesus, when all the calamity came upon him, God raised him from the dead. The calamity ended. The calamity was finished forever. And what God did for Jesus when he raised Jesus from the dead, he will do for all of Jesus' people. And we will enter into God's presence, into the great barley harvest that is coming with God. And we will celebrate that feasting in abundance. And that's where our story is going. And the reason why that's so important is that we have to understand whatever affliction we're experiencing, whatever darkness that we're experiencing in our life, is an episode in a story. It is a chapter in a story. And the story as a whole, which God sees, is good and filled with hope and will eventually end in no more sorrow, no more tears, no more sickness, no more poverty, no more more isolation, no more anger. No more condemnation. No more sense of any of those things. That's what we have in our future. And so it's with, look at these three things that we have. What resources do we have to deal with our suffering? I know that all my suffering is controlled by God. I know that God has entered into my suffering and taken it upon himself. And that God will eventually end the suffering forever. And so it's with that hope that uh, as he leads us, we trust in him. And so that even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for the richness of this text, how many truths this tells us about ourselves and about you. I pray for those who are in particular periods of darkness right now. I pray that you would grant them the grace to walk through that affliction, that darkness, to walk through the valley. Assure them that you are a shepherd who has led them there and will walk with them and guide them and lead them in paths of righteousness for your namesake. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you've called us your people. In Jesus' name, amen.